This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Before we get going on anything else today, though, I do want to mention uh, some big, 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 big news in the world of sports today. Italy, World Cup soccer powerhouse, has failed to qualify for the World Cup upcoming. They tied Sweden today nil-nil or 0-0, depending which continent you're in, how you say that. And they will not be going to the World Cup. First time in 60 years, Italy will not be playing in the World Cup. We've actually got a live remote microphone down at James Street North right now. Let's go there now for a quick report. Yeah, there, there's, that pretty much defines what's uh, what's going on there. There is some great pain and discomfort down at James Street North right now. We'll we'll check in with them again a little bit later. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. Just before I bring Don Robertson into the program here, let us go back for a another update with our on the spot reporter at James Street North to hear uh, the latest reaction on Italy not making it into the World Cup this coming year. Yeah, things are not going well on James Street North right now with the Italian folks who are uh, who are suffering. Rick Rick Zamperin who just left big 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 Italian soccer fan not enjoying himself today. Don Robertson as I bring you into the conversation. There, there are a lot of people who are not enjoying themselves today. There's, uh, well, the Canadians, we're not in. Well, that goes without saying. Good point. I saw Rick wandering out of here. He looked like a guy that somebody just shot his dog. I, I believe Rick is heading directly to uh, several bars to uh, drown his sorrow. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. He'll have a, uh, a Brio and vodka or something. <laughs> I'm, not <laughs> I'm not sure what you... What you drown your sorrows in, but uh, he'll be having something. He'll be drinking red wine, homemade red wine out of an old vinegar container <laughs> by the time he's done. Yeah, one of those bottles with the basket built in <laughs> around <laughs> the one. In every TV show that ever shows an Italian person's home, they always have the bottle with the basket, or the round bottle with the basket on it. And fine Italian restaurants throughout the city as well. Yes, that's, uh, but that's the stereotype. If you're going to do an Italian person's house, like a real Italian person's house on a sitcom or something, it's got to have the round wine bottle with the basket built onto it. That, and, and the checkered red and white tablecloth, and I think you've pretty much then identified it. And Stereotypically. A, and a funnel beside it. Yep, stereo. There's the stereotypes, though. If you want to, if you're a set designer for a sitcom and you have to tell people that's an Italian house, and you know what well, the funny thing is, Don, I have n- many Italian friends. I've been to most of their homes. I don't recall ever seeing that. Just saying, that's it's uh, somehow it's latched on. It's become the thing, but um, I don't think it's really accurate. But they are so to us. Our deep apologies, our deep sympathies. It is going to be an unusual World Cup without Italy in it, though. You want all the major players when you're there, right? When the NFL playoffs seem odd without New England in them somehow. And um, Rick just tweeted that uh, he's plunging his sorrows in a bottle of grappa. <laughs> That'll do it. Somebody uh, better come in for him tomorrow. Uh, yeah, there will be... Um, yeah, it's uh, these are sad, sad days for the uh, the fans uh, of the Azuri. And they didn't score a goal. I mean, they didn't ba- score a how goal. How bad's that? You know, let's put it this way: that you you really want to stick a dagger into the hearts of Italian soccer fans? They are no further ahead than Canada in the World Cup. 
they will finish the same place as Canada in the World Cup standings. That will be enough to create a royal commission in Italy. We have it for hockey when we don't get into the, we don't get an Olympic gold. Knowing that they finished with as many points in World Cup play as Canada will cause great consternation. I am not going to stand beside you when you start your car tonight. <laughs> Let us um, one more time head back to James Street North for one more update from our on-the-spot reporter. Um, how are things going down there now with Italy not making it into the World Cup? Not well is the answer. (laughs) Ah, we move along. We move along. Remember, we're only having fun. Uh, Don Robertson is here every Monday night to talk a little sports other than that. Uh, Don, let's start with a a piece. Now, I I wrote this on the weekend, but it's uh, it's generated some discussion over the last few days about the idea of the city of Hamilton maybe getting a new or talking about the idea of whether we need a new arena, something smaller, something newer, something fresher, something that's a little more state of the art, maybe something that's not even downtown. When you heard that, what, what crossed your mind? Are, do, are we at the point where we need to start talking about something like this? Good for Michael Andler. You know, he's good been, for him for saying it or good that he, it would be good for him to get one? Well, it'd be, obviously it'd be good for him to get one. I mean, he's paid his dues. I'm sure he isn't basking in all the profits he's made with the American League team and the OHL team at this point in time. And no, I'm sure that's true. I think you can point to the fact that uh, Cops Coliseum slash First Ontario Place was not built for an OHL team. So, hence you get 6,000 people there, which is not a bad crowd in an OHL building anywhere. And you're a third full. So it affects the atmosphere. Um, I think someone's on some kind of um, bad patch or a bad dose of drugs to think it's not going to be downtown. I don't think they're building an LRT system uh, to get everybody downtown and not build your entertainment center downtown. Unless they leave Cops Coliseum, I don't know. I'm sure Michael's looked at a lot of venues. I, I read in the article that... Uh, perhaps Lime Ridge Mall, and I think it's going to have to be a standalone place with lots of parking if you take it away from downtown. Well, I mean, Guelph, Guelph Serena, the Sleeman Center, uh, is attached to a mall. It's at one end of a mall, so you can go and you can park your car at the parking, and you can walk through, and you can have dinner, or you can go to a restaurant or buy some stuff, and then you walk right into the end, and there's the arena. So it would not be... I would think you'd see it uh, built, if, the, if in fact they do it, and I don't know if the local government's on for spending... $50 million. I'm not sure what Michael plans on kicking in, but um, I mean, if I was doing the project, I'd want some land to be able to build some some commercial space on and perhaps some residential space for my contribution, uh, much like what Daryl Case did in Edmonton, only just on a smaller scale so that if the uh, if the owner wants to throw some cash into it, you give them some kind of a mechanism to make some of it back. But I don't know. If if you do that, if city council do that, then you're going to kiss the opportunity or the prospect of getting an NHL team out the window permanently. What, if they build a new arena? If they build a six or 7,000 square foot arena. The London Gardens is downtown, not gardens anymore. The Budweiser Gardens. Budweiser Gardens um, is downtown um, um, London as well. But, you know, if you're going to spend... 40 to $60 million on a new facility, then you're pretty much saying we know we're never getting an NHL team. Well, yes and no. If you, I mean, if you 
if the NHL were to come to Hamilton five years from now, so that Cops Coliseum slash First Ontario Centre would be by that point thirty-seven years old. Well, yeah, it's not an option. It's you're starting from scratch anyway. Yeah, it's not an option. You're starting from scratch anyway, and so that that regardless of where you fall on this discussion of the arena thing, for those who say we need to keep First Ontario Centre because if we get an NHL team, we have to have a place for them to play. It would be the second oldest arena in the NHL. The NHL is never going to play in the Cops Coliseum on a permanent. You would basis. be building a new building anyway, somewhere, somewhere, and probably in the downtown. But you would have to build a new building, and so to me, and I haven't yet had enough time to study everything yet. Uh, I mean, I, I've I've thrown this out there. Certainly, it's Michael Anlauer who has has raised this, and I think it's a really interesting thing. My question becomes this, if depending on how much he's willing to put in, and he was not, he said a significant amount, a substantial amount. Well, most owners put none in. Most owners put none or as little as they possibly can. And what ends up happening often is an owner of a team in North America will say, oh, I'll contribute. And then when it comes time to actually get down to it. You start the ball rolling. Everyone gets excited about it. Then the owner goes, oh, no, no, no. It's got to be mostly public. Maybe I'm naive. I don't, based on past history, I don't believe that's the case with Michael Andlauer. I don't. I mean, he's he's spent a ton of dough already in First Ontario Centre. New scoreboard and those strips around the the advertising things and new dressing room and, and a bunch of stuff. He's spent a lot of money in there. But the fact is, if he, assuming he's willing to put in significant money as he says he is, let's say the city had to pay $40 million to do their part. I, I, I don't know if that's a number, a fair number or not, but let's say the city had to put in $40 million. That's a lot of money. But what are you going to have to spend over the next 10 years to keep First Ontario Centre up to some level of usability? When well, the first thing goes wrong and you have to spend 10 or 15 on a huge repair, because you can't just let it fall apart. They're doing a pretty good job of it. But assuming assuming you're going to keep the thing open I, and keep it operating, and I don't want to suggest it's falling apart, but they're they're on a shoestring budget. I mean, they're not now. Uh, uh, the operators have um, who are owners of the Philadelphia Flyers, Spectra, yeah, Spectra. They, I mean, they they're putting money back into the building, but again, it's they're not refurbishing it. There was a story in the paper about the escalator, how long it was down, how the elevator was not working well. That doesn't sound like the owner operator or the municipality are, you know, throwing all kinds of money at this thing. And quite frankly, when you talk about cops coliseum in the city or uh, a spectrum throwing money at it, it's not like they're hoarding all the profits out of the operation of cops coliseum. I don't think it runs in the black. So I always look at it as, as if you're, you're not decreasing your profit, you're just increasing your losses when you spend some money on it, but it's a public building. Those things you would expect should be operational, and they're not. So that doesn't suggest that they're going to spend big bucks on it anytime soon. But let's say, and I'm throwing a number out, and again, I may be talking out of my butt here, Don. I don't don't know if this would be the case, but over the next 10 years, let's say it was going to cost you $20 million for repairs, for upgrades, for whatever else. That number may be way high. I don't know. But if that's the case over the next 10 years, and you were going to spend 20 to keep the place held together and you could spend 40 for a brand new facility, then it starts to, it starts to sound like, okay, maybe it's something we should at least have a discussion about. And then 
if you were to say, well, look, we, we don't need two big buildings like that in the city. So first Ontario Centre gets knocked down and we can now develop that part of the downtown, which is prime real estate downtown. With If you put condos or whatever else, the taxes you get from there, you can make an argument then that you could more than pay for your contribution to this if you think it through. Now, if first Ontario Centre is going to need 5 million over the next 10 years, not 20 million, and if you don't believe that that land could get you the kind of development or that it would help you better with something else, then you say, mm, no, then it doesn't make any sense for the city to be launching into something like this. If if my logic has any merit, and it seldom does, uh, if Michael Andelar is going to put $25 million into the new arena, and I have no idea what he's talking about, so I'm guessing, then the type of thing I talked about earlier is that you give him a significant portion of the lands where Cops Coliseum now sit so he can do some kind of a development and perhaps make some money back himself. Then maybe everybody wins, but Michael's not successful because he's nuts. He's a very successful guy. He has a passion for hockey, the Montreal Canadiens and the Hamilton Bulldogs, and he's done some things that a lot of people wouldn't have done. Um, But there's going to have to be a carrot for him if you want him to kick in significantly. I've long believed that what should happen with Cops Coliseum is very similar to what happened to the old Maple Leaf Gardens, where you put the ice surface at the same level as the upper bowl, and then you have about 8,000 seats, and you build some private boxes up there, and then you put two floors underneath that. Uh, And my understanding, well, I know it's true, because I saw the drawings. There's room, you can build another concourse right now, uh, at Cops Coliseum. So if it has that type of building integrity, and I'm a long way from an engineer, I don't even think I can spell it, but if they're going to put two floors there, that resolves your convention center crisis now. I mean, it was always, we can't draw big conventions into town because we don't have enough hotel rooms. Now we have all kinds of hotel rooms, but we have so many hotel rooms, we can't, the, uh, the convention center isn't large enough to attract um conventions that will fill all the hotels. That does two things. It gives you an 8,000-seat building with um, private suites and so on, and it gives you lots of convention space. That's something that you might be able to persuade city council is a viable thing. I don't know if that's what will happen, and I don't know what the cost of it is. But Other- isn't that, doesn't that fall in with, because Jasper Kajaski in the, the report that they did in March that talked about $68 million to just bring it to some sort of modern standard. Surely it's going to be in the 50 to $60 million range to completely redo the building that way. You're not talking something cheap. No, I know. But if you spend 50 or $60 million to, if you, if, if you went with Jasper's plan, um, I think you're putting a bandaid on a shrapnel wound because the building's still going to be an 18,000 seat building. It's still not going to be NHL ready. That's in excess of $200 million. But I'm saying even if you take that number, I, I'm just, my point is whether you're doing what he suggested or you're doing what yeah, you suggest, it. it's going to cost a okay. lot of money to and, do it. And that's okay. Because, and, and, and I'll tell you why I believe it's okay. It's okay because then you're going to have an 8,000 seat arena, which you need for the level of hockey that, that we've had. And most had, of the concerts that you're had, doing. And a lot of your concerts. But you're also going to have a fabulous convention center. So you're going to get two things. Now, do you want to build an 8,000-seat arena or a six or five to 8,000-seat arena 
and a convention center, which apparently we need. So if you renovate COPS, we'll accomplish both those things. But who pays for this then? Well, the municipality are going to have to kick in a bunch, and so is Andalar. But if you're, but if you do that, uh, fair enough. If you can say, if you can convince him as a private businessman that he should do that, and again, I think that there's going to have to be something to sweeten the pot. If you're asking a private businessman to basically pay to revitalize a publicly owned building that will help the municipality, and but you want thirty or forty million dollars that he's going to need to have something. And, and I think it's only fair to say you would get something, whether it's land to develop down there or whatever else. Because if it's just the city that has to do this, you'd be far further ahead to pay the twenty million bucks or twenty five or thirty that th- no, will be I, needed. No, where I where I think it happens is, and I, again, I don't know what significant is in Michael's uh, eyes, but if it is twenty five million, and you're still going to have to uh, find a way for him to get a bit of a return on his investment somehow, he's not just going to hand you twenty five million dollars. But if you're going to spend say sixty million dollars to do the project I just talked about. And then he gets a facility about the size he wants downtown. I think that's what he wants. I think he wants something in the 8,000-seat range that's more conducive to the OHL, and he can generate some more revenue with the private boxes. So if he puts in $25 million and the whole project's going to cost you $60 million, then the city are in for $35 million in essence to upgrade a facility that if they want to have a major hockey team, and right now the OHL is a major hockey team and the only one or the American League were to come back, like it may happen at some point, but the OHL is very stable. So I I would go with the OHL and assume it's going to stay for a long, long time. And the city said, well, you know what? We really do need a convention center, and that's going to cost us $40 million. Boom, there's your $65 million. You've accomplished two things at once, both downtown. And what if the owner of the Bulldogs, and I don't know this to be the case. I'm just, because of the fact that someone else had the, uh, Councillor Skelly had thrown out the idea in the piece about uh, somewhere up on the mountain. What if the owner of the Bulldogs doesn't want to be downtown? If he looks and he says, look, people have complained about, and we, we know all these things. People have complained about feeling unsafe, about parking, about this, about that. They what if he looks at it and goes, you know what? The only place that works for me with a hockey team in this town is somewhere close to where the people are who actually buy tickets. I need to be on the mountain or somewhere that is out of the downtown core. What then? I think the city of Hamilton and, and our leaders in the city of Hamilton have determined that the, uh, the redevelopment downtown has now turned the corner and is becoming very prosperous. Uh, Leuna announced last week they're going to put uh, a building up where the old Kresge store is across and on the side street across from, I believe it was the old Spectator building. And they're going to bring spend a billion dollars on the LRT. I don't think you're going to convince city fathers very quickly to spend any money other than downtown. So I think if you're going to see it at like Lime Ridge Mall and get Cadillac Fairview to be part of the development, it's going to have to be all private money because then it would be on private property. If the Bulldogs and the city do a partnership, which is pretty smart on, on, on the uh, owner's part, like what Kate's did, he built the uh, new building in Edmonton, pretty familiar with how they did that, and the city own it. Well, why did the city own it? Because he's not paying any taxes on it. He gets to use it, but he's not paying any taxes on it. So if you stay on a city-owned property and the city remain, uh, retain ownership of it, and you can find some kind of another development partnership with the city to get some of his money back, then I think it makes perfect sense to keep it downtown. I don't think the city fathers are going to be interested in building or participating and financing it anywhere but downtown. Now, I might be wrong. 
What about at the risk of starting a, an old, and we got only got a minute here, but at an old debate, there was land that was set aside, as everybody recalls, with the uh, famous words West Harbor. What if you were to look at the place, the spot that the football stadium was supposed to go, where you could have parking, you could have it on a city property, it could still be close enough to the downtown, but not right in the very, very core where you don't feel like you know, you're again, some people will be, they can drive down, they can park, they can feel safe. What if, what about that? Well, I think that should have been an entertainment complex down there. But and you could I, then, with what I, you're describing, I, so I, you I, could I, do it. A convention center slash arena slash whatever. Well, but the convention center, you're starting to get a bit of a walk. Convention centers traditionally like to be hooked up where you don't have to go outside from hotels. Or you're only walking across the street. Now you've got a bit of a hike down down to the uh, um, where the new stadium will be, but you can build restaurants, you can build condos, you can build and, a small hotel down there, and if that's you want well, you can build a big hotel, you can build a couple of big hotels down there. I mean, if you put your convention center and your arena down there, then there's a reason to put a couple towers down there that are hotels. Certainly opens the door for some discussions. I, I, I I'm undecided on this because again, I haven't studied it enough by any stretch. But the only thing I really hope out of this is that the people who the city council won't just shut the door immediately without even talking about it. You got to, you got to at least look at it. You got to discuss it. Well, they, they study everything. I think, uh, Sir John A. McDonald comes into play, uh, for an 8,000 seat building because the footprint isn't near as big as it has to be for a national hockey league building. And that would kind of complement downtown. I'm not sure my idea isn't, I wish it was my idea. I kind of stole that idea, but I like what they did at Maple Leaf Gardens, and it does make some sense, and we do need some convention center space. But if you're not going to do that, then I think you'll see Sir John A. McDonald come into play because the city can buy it, and they won't have to pay a gazillion for it. And if you let Andalar do a little bit of development on that site along with it, then it, maybe it makes financial sense for him to really jump into the fray. I'm sure we'll be talking about this further. I know we'll be talking about this further because it's uh, there's a lot of stuff that but is. He's addressed the need. There's no question about that, and it's not a surprise. You know, Cops has been too big for the American League and the OHL since it was built. Well, and it is 32 years old now, and arenas in the modern age don't last forever. They just don't. And at some point, you knew this was going to come up. And if if you can have someone who is willing to put his money where his mouth is, and Ann Lauer says that he will do that. You, I don't think if you're the city, you can completely turn up your nose at it and say, no, we can't spend any, we can't spend anything. So we're going to withdraw. I think you have to at least have the conversation. You have to at least explore it and see whether it can be something that is useful. And then as we go to break, if you're going to try in the Johnny McDonald lot, and then you don't need first Ontario center and you can redevelop that plot of land for something, you could potentially have a really interesting, really impactful downtown one-shot development plane right there at that corner of Bay and York. Well, you got the Philpot Church there. You've got uh, Copley's there. There, there. There's lots of potential with, with uh, future development as well. I mean, it's it could be a pretty exciting project, let, let me tell you that. Quick break. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Big event tonight, Don, for Hamilton sports fans because this does not happen very often. Uh, Harry Howell was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1979, same year as Bobby Orr. Pat Quinn was inducted three years ago, maybe two years ago. And tonight, Dave Anderchuk goes into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And Dave Anderchuk's an interesting case study because there are people, there are a number of people 
who have made the case that he was what was described as simply an accumulator. Guy played for a long time and he got a lot of goals. I mean, there's only 13 men in NHL history who have ever scored more goals than Dave Anderchuk. He's in the elitist of the elite when it comes to, to, to statistics. But do you look at Dave Anderchuk as a Hall of Famer or as simply a guy who put up a lot of points because he hung around for a long time? Well, <clears throat> pardon me. I heard an argument today or a suggestion today that had he not have played with Doug Gilmore in Toronto for a couple of years, his stats wouldn't be what they are today. But that would be like saying if he never played in the NHL, he wouldn't have scored a goal. So it's kind of foolhardy from that respect. Um, well, there's another point to that too. Do you know which two years Doug Gilmore had his most points, who his winger was? Dave Anderchuk. The two years that he was Dave Anderchuk's center were Doug Gilmore's two best years. Yeah. You could argue that Doug Gilmore might not be a that, surefire Hall of Famer without playing with Anderchuk. That's the argument I would use. And they had tremendous su- success in the hockey center of the hockey universe. And that helps. Had Dave Anderchuk not played in Toronto, sadly, he may still a little bit be on the outside looking in. But when you look at, and, and certainly, uh, you know, you talk about longevity and a point accumulator, there's something to be said for the fact that he did play 22 years and that he wasn't heavily injured and he played in the dirty areas of the game. He wasn't floating around the outside like Phil Kessel. He got his nose dirty to get a lot of those goals. Well, you look, his second last season, in the NHL. His second last season, he still had 21 goals. So yes, he hung around for a long time, but he was still effective. He wasn't the guy who hung around and in his last seven years, he was putting up two or three or four goals and just wearing a uniform. So when you, when you want to compare longevity to perhaps Clark Gillies, who didn't have brilliant hands, as a matter of fact, some of his best work when his gloves were on the ice and he was a bit of an enforcer and could play the game. If you want to start nitpicking, and if Dave Anderchuk shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, that means a lot of guys got to come out. So good for Dave Anderchuk and good for Hamilton and damn well deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And they should be ashamed of themselves for waiting as long as they did based on some of, some of the guys that are in who aren't nearly as talented and played a long time. Well, first of all, I agree. And, and anyone knows, I mean, I've written about Dave. I've lobbied for this for a long time. I'm not sure that anyone listened to me, but thankfully they listened to somebody and finally decided to put him in. But the idea, when someone uses the word accumulator, I always find it interesting because, again, if you are really, 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 first of all, if you're excellent at what you do for a very brief period of time, is that better than someone who is really, really, really good for a long period of time? And I understand, like, this to me is the is the argument often, is that if Dave Anderchuk had played the 21 years, I think, that he played and eight of those he was just hanging on, okay, you could just say then he wasn't doing anything. But he was putting up big numbers, even relatively speaking, right up until the end, even as a 40-year-old. He was still putting up big numbers. He won a Stanley Cup in his last year. He was he was doing a lot. And, and, you know, the other part you say, he the fact that he played in the center of the hockey universe. Had Dave Anderchuk not played his first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years in Buffalo, which is as far from the center of the media storm as possible. Instead of being with the Buffalo Sabres, what if he'd been drafted by the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Maple Leafs or the New York Rangers and been scoring all those goals, even if they weren't all beautiful? What if he'd scored all those goals for the New York Rangers? Would there have been any doubt that he was a Hall of Famer? None. None. 
And it would have been it's, it's the same as chewing. It's the same as you look at Paul Correa, who played a lot of his hockey on the left coast. So a lot of people didn't get an appreciation for just how good he was. He was a brilliant hockey player. But he played a lot of he, a lot of his games were played at ten and ten thirty at night, and nobody got to see him un, unless he played for Team Canada. And you go, holy crap, he is pretty good. You know, I mean, he but he played a lot on the West Coast, so that's as obscure as you can get as well. Yeah, I I, I take umber. I mean, I don't want to be the the hometown guy. Although, listen, I, on the other hand, I don't mind sticking up for a Hamilton guy and giving him and admitting that. Yeah, there is part of my argument that is because he's from Hamilton. I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to say that that's not the case. But even if I wasn't, you look at what Dave Anderchuk did in his career, and I just don't understand how you argue against it, that he may not have been the highlight reel guy. But what was the first thing that your coach said to you when you started minor hockey? It's not how, it's how many. You don't have to go end-to-end every time to score highlight reel goals. I'm thinking back to 10 years ago, there was a guy who played for the Buffalo Sabres that probably scored in the two or three or four years that he was with the Sabres, more highlight reel end-to-end rush goals. A guy named Maxim Afenogenov. It's a name that a lot of people won't even remember now. He would pick up the puck in his own end, pick up speed, zoop, 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 through three guys and score. And he'd score 35 goals a year. But then it stopped. And he was gone. The... the um when you first started, you started talking about are you great for a short period of time or are you really, really, really good for long? Uh, I always thought Eric Lindros should have been in the Hall of Fame long before he was. And, you know, he, he annoyed some people partway through his career on a regular basis. But, and, he, you know, he didn't have a very good start. He wouldn't go to Quebec. He wouldn't go to Sault Ste. Marie. All those and things. And he got hurt. And, yeah. But, his, but he stopped playing in the National Hockey League not by choice. Because of the way he played, and he had his head down, as Grapes would say all the time, going through the trolley tracks, it doesn't matter how big you are, that hit on Steven still still wakes me up in the middle of the night sometimes when I think about it. But Larry Lindros was a premier player and only played a, a short period of time because of how he played, and he was forced out of the game by injury, same as Bobby Orr. Now, Bobby Orr was in a league all by himself, but Bobby Orr's career was quite short. And when you talk about flash, you don't have to be flashy to get now, the Bobby National Now, Bobby Orr is obviously a different story, but... Of course he is. We got to go to break, but here's my last question for you. Jerome McGinley, if Jerome McGinley plays, signs with someone, and plays one more NHL season, plays an 80-game NHL season, he will have the same number of games played as Dave, How- uh, Dave Anderchuk. If, if he plays one more full NHL season, and if he does... And scores 15 goals, which would be a stretch the way Aginla is going now because he has slowed down considerably. He hasn't even got a team. <laughs> no, but if he, I'm saying if he yeah. signed with someone and played a year and scored 15 goals, his numbers would be the same as Dave Anderchuk. Everybody I'm hearing saying is saying Jerome Aginla is a surefire, guaranteed lock for the Hall of Fame. He's played just as long. He's played at the same rate of scoring. He's done all these things. I just don't understand how... The discussion is that somehow Dave Anderchuk is a marginal Hall of Famer. There are 13 you, men ever who have scored more goals than him, you know the period. Good, you know the good news is? doesn't matter now. Tonight, he's tonight he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And you know what we start tomorrow with? Now that we don't have to write about why Dave Anderchuk isn't in there anymore? How in the world, the Hockey Hall of Fame, how in the world is Don Cherry not in there?
but we'll start that one another day. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, I just showed during the commercial break, Don, the uh, video clip of the Ottawa Red Blacks touchdown celebration yesterday when they scored a touchdown. Two guys, one grabbed one of their other players' feet, one grabbed his arms, the guy in the middle did a plank, and they celebrated by a fourth guy doing the limbo <laughs> underneath the bar made by the guy. Um, do you like touchdown celebration dances, or are you one of those people who is a purist who is offended and horrified by them? Well, I'm not offended or horrified by them, but I always kind of think if you get a touchdown, you should act like you've been there before, and maybe... That's what we're supposed to do, not like utter total astonishment. I can see if a lineman blocks a pass and the ball falls in his mitts and he runs six yards and he goes cuckoo because he's never going to score another touchdown as long as he lives. But when these guys, I mean, when that's your job and that's what you get paid for, you know, just kind of drop the ball and bugger off and pretend that's what you're supposed to do. See, I love this stuff. Really? Uh, and I know I'm not supposed to, but I give full credit to the guys who, as long as they're creative. I remember one of my all-time favorites was right, it was Calgary, I think, and it was around the time of the Olympics. And a guy scored a touchdown and four guys got down into bobsleigh formation and <laughs> pretended they were in a bobsled together. They were leaning one way, leaning. That to me was that when the Ticats scored in Winnipeg a few years ago and they had a fishing boat in the end zone, behind the end zone, and they all jumped into the fishing boat and pretended to fish. See, I, I, I got no problem with that. I think it's kind of fun, as long as it's not either obscene or so stupid that you go, okay, that's, you better be creative. If you're going to do it, you better be creative. I don't watch uh, a ton of, of NFL football, but I watched the Bills game long enough yesterday to see uh, New Orleans score two touchdowns, and their players jumped in to the stands, and it was in Buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the one guy got hammered with beer, which is should be expected, right? If you're going to jump into the other guys, most of the guys were just having fun with it. I mean, they're just lucky they didn't jump into the seat with the naked guy. They got because the guy got yeah, arrested yesterday for streaking. Well, uh, for did, giving the full did, shot. Did you see the picture? Uh, he he was he was as naked as you could be naked. I might, if I was built like him, I might run around with no gear on too. <laughs> he was he was. Uh, you could not be more naked than he no, was. He, naked as a jaybird, as there, I would there, say. The next level down was muscle. There was nothing <laughs> else that he could possibly take off. Um, no, I, I look, I don't have any, within reason, and, and, and the other point is the score's got to be right to do it. All right? You don't do this when yeah, you're up no. by 40 or down by 30. No. You got to do this when it's a game. No, you got to be a little classy about it. And you know what? And if you're the other team, this is the shot that uh, people always say, well, you're, you're antagonizing the other team. You're going to get them, you know, it's, it's rubbing it in their faces. If it's a fun, lighthearted celebration, because remember, there was one when Terrell Owens was playing for the San Francisco 49ers and he scored on the Cowboys. And then he ran to midfield to essentially desecrate the star, the Dallas Cowboys logo at center field. See, that to me, that, that's not what we're talking about because that's, that is trying to stick, your, stick it in the face of the other team and get them angry. If it's a lighthearted, fun, creative celebration and you're on the other team, let it go. It's okay. They scored a touchdown. They're allowed to do this. If you hate the Dallas Cowboys and you hate Terrell Owens, you still thought it was okay. But you're right. I mean, there, there, there is a way to do it. I mean, spinning the ball and, and doing all kinds of guys that do backflips. I think that's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's hurting nobody. They right. scored it. You know what? If, they, if you don't want them to celebrate, don't let them score a touchdown. Remember the average super, superstar Johnny, oh, 
Oh, I had his name in my head. Played for the Montreal Alouettes. Johnny Edwards. Okay. He used to run in backwards. He'd get in so far. About the 10-yard line, he'd turn around and run in backwards and then do a backflip or do some kind of thing. And I, I, I don't mind hot dogs. But you certainly have to pretend you've done it before. It's got to be the time and the place. I do remember, as we go to break, I do remember one time, I can't remember which team it was. It was a long time ago. A guy's team was down by like 35 points, and he scored a touchdown and proceeded to do the worm across the back of the end zone. And even his own teammates are like, would you please get up? We're getting killed. This is not the time to do that. Not about you right now. That's exactly right. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. On Friday, Hamilton was chosen as one of the Smart 21 communities in the world. Now, the Smart 21 competition, I guess it's a competition of sorts. Anyway, it represents the best models of economic, social, and cultural development in the digital age. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you in just a second, or my guest will tell us in just a second. Uh, Eventually, one of these 21 communities is going to be chosen to become the 2018 Intelligent Community of the Year, which sounds like a really good thing. The intelligent community of the year, that is a, that, we want that. We, I mean, think of the alternative. The idiot community of the year, we don't want that. The intelligent community of the year sounds really, really good. What I don't know exactly, though, is what this really means and what this says about us. Well, Rob McCann is the president of Clear Cable. He's also the chairman of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce Digital Infrastructure Working Group. He joins me now. Rob, thanks for doing this tonight. Thank you very much for having me on. What does this mean exactly? Put it in human terms. What did we just win or what were we just honored for? Well, the Intelligent Community Forum started this competition in the 1990s. And the goal was to inspire inclusive prosperity, tackle some social problems, and enrich cultures in an age of of digital disruption because technology is changing the things that we do every day. So an intelligent community figures out ways to use technology to help improve the lives of their citizens. And this competition really allows cities and regions all over the world to tell their story about how they're doing that and be evaluated against all the other communities and cities around the world who are trying to do the same thing. So when the the description here describes it as the best model of economic, social, and cultural Development. So does this then in some tangible way say that we are doing a good job at combining those three things with technology? Yeah, that, that's right. So there are six indicators that the Intelligent Community Forum looks at. And first and foremost is broadband, so access to high-speed internet. And we have many good choices in the Hamilton area for high-speed internet services. And working with the Chamber of Commerce, we're trying to encourage more investment in that area. But then the next part is once you have broadband, that attracts knowledge workers. And the knowledge workers are the ones who work to come up with new ideas that ultimately lead to innovation. And those innovations can drive digital equality, in other words, allowing more people to have access to services they might not otherwise have. And a great example is happening in Ward 3 right now with the uh, public Wi-Fi that's in Gage Park. Do we have, sorry, do we have many places though, Hamilton or otherwise in Canada right now, and I'm not talking necessarily about the far, far, far away Inuit or Aboriginal communities because we know there are struggles there, but generally within the developed part of Canada, are there areas that are still struggling though to have broadband or to have internet access? 
Yeah, there definitely is. And it's not just limited to uh, faraway places. It is even urban centers where, you know, the infrastructure of the city is much more difficult to get around to bring in the types of speeds that we would like to see in general. You know, everybody is using more broadband. And we at Clear Cable have data from all across Canada that suggests our usage grows by 50% every year. And that's mostly because everyone's watching TV online now. But because of that usage growing, it makes it more difficult to get access and it requires more investment. So what happens if we win this thing? Like, what does it mean? First of all, do we win anything if we win this or is it a prestige thing, first of all? Yeah, so, so first and foremost... Hamilton is already a winner because to get named to the Smart 21 puts you in a group of world-class cities, uh, over 160 of them around the world that have been named to the Smart 21 uh, in the last several decades. And, And that means that we are on par with other cities who are attracting investment into their communities. Two years ago, the winner was Montreal. So, you know, we win already because we have a good story to tell to help attract more people to come invest here. Uh, Beyond that, if we go to top seven, that puts us in even a higher echelon. And the number one really uh, are, you know, the cream of the crop. Those are the folks who have done all the things right all year long. And and last year, that was Melbourne, Australia. So do companies in in the business community, is this something that companies would check if they were, like you know, one of the discussions that we've had a lot on my show and on all the shows around here and throughout the city are these talks about Amazon. You know, we're going after Amazon to come here as one company. Is this the kind of thing that we sell as a city or is this something that is well known that companies looking to move would be aware of this? It, It definitely is because it really helps tell a story. A couple of years ago, the, the number one city was Columbus, Ohio, and shortly after being announced, they achieved a, an award of a ton of government funding to build a smart highway infrastructure system. So you know, this really is something that helps tell our story and encourage folks to come invest here. And as another example, uh, our company, Clear Cable, founded here in Hamilton in 2004, has been expanding. And when we decided to expand uh, to Europe, we decided that we would look for one of the cities that's been named before. And we chose Eindhoven, which is a city that was named in 2011 as the top community. Is this something new for us then? Like, are we, have we, have we in Hamilton, I know that we're, we're a city that is transitioning because everybody knows we were once all about steel and now we're more about medical and education and, and things along those lines. But has this been a struggle for us or have we now been succeeding at this, whether or not we won this award? Have we been succeeding at this for a while now? Well, there's been a really great effort by the Global Hamilton team to fill out the application and tell the Hamilton story. Uh, we're on this year. We were not in last year, but, but we didn't apply last year. But the year before that, Hamilton was also named to the Smart 21. So we have a bit of a thing going here, which uh, encourages us to think that we might get to top seven this year. Does uh, it, okay. So how does combining these things though help us? Because again, the three the three things that are identified are not necessarily three things that I don't think you automatically would think of together. Economic, yes, okay, I understand that, and social for sure, okay, because social media and ec- economics, all these things. The cultural side of it, I'm not sure that everybody would automatically put that one, lump that one in 
as the third obvious candidate? How do these things work together and how do they work together to help us? Well, all of them are technology driven today, right? So we know that to, to build inclusive prosperity, we need to make sure everybody has access to broadband so that they can have online education, so that they can apply for jobs and, and participate in the community. Uh, together, those things help us tackle those kinds of social problems. It helps us to re-educate our workforce and encourage folks to, to learn the new technologies and participate in the digital economy. And then enriching the culture is improving the things that people have around them to be able to enjoy. You know, whether that means uh, having new types of art installation. Uh, as a great example, Montreal did an augmented reality deployment where as you go about and tour the city, if you stop in front of the Notre Dame Cathedral, for instance, you can hold up your phone and get an entire story about what that cathedral is about. So it, it you know, really... It encourages people to explore and discover their city because now they have ready access to information so that they can understand the things around them. So if you combine these three then, and again, economic and social and cultural, um, in, in a utopia, when we have the digital technology available to us, what would be the utopia for, for how these things would all work digitally together into one big melting pot of greatness? Yeah, it, it's just about making a community a great place to live, work, and play. And we're learning new ways to work, right? We, we don't like to go sit in cubicles anymore. We like to be able to, to work in the park or move about the city and be mobile as we need to connect with other folks and have more dynamic relationships that way. But also we like to combine our culture and our recreation in with our work. And, and that's what this, you know, the digital economy is allowing us to do, to, to change our habits and, and to be more social beings. Is this all good news? I mean, you're, you're with the Chamber of Commerce as well. And when I say that, I mean, clearly uh, getting a, a spot in the, the this group, this, this award sounds terrific. But I'm wondering, not every company in this city is as tapped into the social, the digital world as everyone else. There are some, uh, for the lack of a better term, old school companies still. Are these kind of things good for them? Or like, is this good across the board or do they look at this and say, man, I, I, I really have to change what I'm doing now? Well, so first of all, the greatest thing that comes out of the competition is the local knowledge of what's going on. You know, there are so many great things happening in Hamilton that they don't necessarily get communicated or shared. And this is true across all the communities we observe at the ICF that apply so it's a bit of a, a journey, just learning to understand your inventory of great things. And, and the one I like to point to in Hamilton is that uh, Mohawk College has a classroom on wheels that can roll into any community and set down and, and start delivering classes, you know, temporarily and then, then drive away. And that's a story that might not otherwise get told without a, a, a program like this. And now that we're starting to tell those stories you're right, there are some more traditional businesses that may need to look at new ways to uh, adopt technology to improve their business. Can you survive in 2017 if you are not part of that digital revolution? I mean, you're, you're, again, you're with the Chamber of Commerce. Can you, can, it, can you make a go of it if you're not tapped in? Well, I mean, I think you can still make a go of it, but I think that your runway into the future is getting shorter. You know, you really need to look at the ways that digital disruption is changing the core of, 
of your individual business, regardless of what it is. And, and it really does come down to innovation, e- even in traditional businesses. We need to innovate our processes, our workflows, and our products. The uh, What is the Chamber do? I mean, the Chamber clearly is excited about this. And again, you're part of that. But what are you doing to try and again enhance the connectivity around the city? Is the Chamber directly involved in that? Yeah, so the Chamber of Commerce last December launched an initiative they call Digital Hamilton that is looking at the private sector interests around broadband, healthcare, and mobility so that we can create a view or a position to be able to communicate back to the Mayor's Intelligent Community Task Force. I am only looking after the Digital Infrastructure Working Group, which is a a committee of all of the broadband service providers in the Hamilton area, uh, large ones and small ones who are delivering internet services over fiber, over cable, over DSL, or over wireless. And what we're really doing is writing a, a paper to describe what is it that would encourage service providers to do more, to bring higher speeds, to bring more access into the city. And moreover, where in the city is there already great access versus where are places that we need to see some investment? And and once we are managed to con- convince the service providers or come up with the right investment strategy, we can improve services for everybody. Because broadband really is the start of the intelligent community. You need to be able to connect people. Rob McCann, president of Clear Cable and the chairman of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce Digital Infrastructure Working Group. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for explaining. Thank you very much. Have a good night. It's, uh, again, the thing, the, the contest, competition, honor, whatever word you want to use, is called Smart 21 Communities. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about whether there should be Wi-Fi in the public and access to everybody. And remember, you know, we've talked about uh, internet in the public library for people. It seems as though it's hard to imagine that anyone doesn't have access now. Maybe there are still people. And, you know, I, I know that we talk in the city a lot about uh, about poverty and about poverty initiatives. I, I can't believe, it's very hard to imagine that if you actually want, maybe not the same across the board, not everybody has two or three computers in their home or an iPhone or whatever, but... It seems very hard to believe that if you want access to internet, you couldn't get it these days. And maybe that's, and that, and clearly that has something to do with what is going on with this, that we are clearly, let me go back to what the description is. The best models of economic, social, and cultural developments that we're connecting those things in our city. It seems hard to believe. And I think it's a compliment that if you want to be connected now, you can be connected and we have those facilities in the city that we're, we're connecting those parts. I mean, for, for some people, look, for some people, what I'm talking about right now, when you're talking about connectivity and all this stuff, it's like, you know, remember that old joke about what does a dog hear? You know, woof, 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 woof. Some people are right now just hearing me say, blah, 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 blah. Because it, the whole idea of the connectivity and everything else is, it doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? I don't even get it. Well, Many people are seeing it very clearly. The fact that we can connect all different facets online of our city to enhance culture, to enhance social contact, to enhance the economy is only going to be a good thing, especially as we try to become a more modern 
city moving away from just being reliant on steel. We have more in education. We have more in medical. We have more in research and development. Those kind of things all need people communicating with each other. And according to this, we're doing a good job at it. And if you're one of those people who just for the last 15 minutes heard blah, 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 I, okay, I, I, I understand there are some, there are people out there, I know this, I hear from people sometimes who still, by choice, don't have the internet. I understand. That's okay. That's okay. For those people, this is going to be a discussion that is absolutely sans meaning. But for the rest, I think you get it. This is really showing that this city is beginning to get much, much, much better connected across the board. And it seems that's probably a good thing. We'll take a break. Back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. There's an online poll that is titled The Nerdiest Things That Will Never Be Cool. So they did this online poll and came up with the list of the things that were really nerdy that no matter how much you try to position it, that no, 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 that's okay, that's pretty cool. No, no, it'll never be cool. You do this, it immediately lops points off your cool factor. So if you think you're really, you know, if you've got the hipster beard and you wear suspenders and a handlebar mustache, and you're thinking, I am really rocking the cool. And then you do some of this stuff. See, everything you do here detracts from the cool factor elsewhere. And now, on the flip side, if you wear short pants that are too short with knee-high black socks and sandals, you have already established your nerd non-coolness. Each thing you do here only pushes you further into that area. So gauge where you are, where you're starting from on the nerd scale or slash cool scale and determine where you're going to end up after we do this. This is, this is really to help you. We are here as a public service to either allow you to move closer to being cool or to prevent you from sliding more deeply into full-on nerddom. You see, this is, this is our way of helping you. Let us begin. Will, have you ever, I'll ask you, I'll, I'll do each of these with this Okay, one. let's do it. Have you ever gone to a video arcade, put a, I don't even know what you put in now, a quarter or 50 cents or a loony, yeah. into a machine and done Dance Dance Revolution? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. There is, it is impossible to protect you from a full-on nerd influx when you, it is impossible to look cool doing Dance Dance Revolution. It, yes, I can also confirm this as well. It, it, it's, I'm not saying it's not fun. Oh, it's tons of fun. You're just praying nobody has a phone camera that is actually recording you doing this because <laughs> A, you, even if you're real, see- Normally on a video game back in the day, if you were bad at it, that would be embarrassing. This is one of those things that if you're really good at it, it's probably more embarrassing. <laughs> you're better off to look like a spaz and just flop out immediately and go, oh, I've never played this before, than to be that guy. And if you've never seen Dance Dance Revolution, it's like a full-size immersive video game that has 
pads under like your feet. Like a little disco floor for you to move around on, yeah. And it lights up, and you have to step to whatever the lit pad is. But if you've ever seen someone who's like really, really good at this, you almost feel badly for them because <laughs> you realize how much time they've spent nailing <laughs> this thing. And it's like, really? like uh, You couldn't have found something else to do? See, I have seen some guys who are so and girls who who are so intense and so good at it. It passes that threshold to me thinking, "What are you actually trained in? How many mar- like what martial arts skills do you know that you are this good at DDR?" But see, if you if you're good at martial arts, like being good at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is not yeah. going to help you in dance dance revolution. I don't know. I'm sorry, did you it. just refer to it as DDR? <laughs> I think I did. Yes. <laughs> Okay, you just added a second <laughs> nerd point for shortening Dance Dance Revolution to the, hey, want to go do some DDR? <laughs> now, you say that, you say that if a cop overhears you, they'll think it's something else and now you're in trouble. Yeah, well, CCR is fine. DDR no, okay, is yeah. not so good. I can agree with that too. Number 29, I'd never even heard of this. Uh, this is a clothing item. Do you ever heard of Tevis or Tevis? I don't even know how you say it. T-E-V-A-S. No. They are a type of sandal. Okay. I'm going to skip over it just because I really can't speak to it. And the picture that is on here doesn't really tell me much except people are wearing sandals. Uh, number 28, playing Pokemon. Oh, yeah. With Pokemon cards? You ever done that? Yeah. Well, no, I didn't play the cards. I just collected them and, and drew them and, and yeah. But no, I but I think that one shouldn't be on the list because most people my age at some point have played Pokemon. Okay. I will yeah. grant you that if you are under 12 and you play Pokemon... It doesn't nerdify you. <laughs> if you're in your late twenties into the thirties and you're still playing Pokemon, that's a nerd. That's nerdy. That would be nerdy. I'd, I'd like to get my point in here. I think it's okay. In fact, some people might be being helped by this list. They want to increase their nerd score. They want that to could be happen. even for. They want to make sure they're really into the obscure areas of things. All right. Well, so if you're up for that, you know, <laughs> we're helping you there too. Yeah. Uh, number twenty-seven, Magic: The Gathering. It, yeah, which is like a cardboard game, that a fantasy. It's I that I played a little bit when I was a teenager. To be honest, I still I would play it if someone got me in. If someone brought me a deck, but that is one of those games where people get so intensely into it that it's a whole other life, and it's hard for anyone to relate to it. <laughs> All right, let me skip a couple here. Number twenty-five. Anything themed by Rubik's Cube? They've got a picture here <laughs> of a coffee mug Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Rubik's Cubes back in the 80s. Yeah. There was nothing uncool about them. They were the, they were mm-hmm. they were a really cool thing. Of course, I could only ever get one side. I had one just break into pieces in my hand once. See, I couldn't figure it out. I was hoping out. that would happen because yeah. I could put it all back together. Yes. That was and then say, see, I got it. <laughs> but I watched a video the other day of some guy who did the whole Rubik's Cube in four point something seconds. Uh-huh. Set a world record. I know a guy who does that. <laughs> And again, how much time are you spending on Rubik's Cube to learn how to do it in four point something seconds? Is there nothing else in your life that you could do? You couldn't feed the hungry or go <laughs> volunteer somewhere at a food shelter or something. You've got to practice Rubik's Cube until you can solve it in 4.6 seconds. Number 24, playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. I, I have played Dungeons and Dragons. It is not my ideal Friday night. 
<laughs> I, I understand if someone else loves it, but to me, I just always think, wouldn't it be cool if we actually were on a hike in the wilderness instead of imagining it right now? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and I probably, when I watched uh, Stranger Things, yes. <laughs> I probably missed some stuff because I didn't have any idea what they were talking about with their whole Dungeons and yeah. Dragons. Thankfully, you haven't said D&D yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> could go. let's go play some DDR and then unwind with some D&D. <laughs> now it sounds like you're actually talking about drugs for sure. <laughs> uh, number 23, if you love Ewoks. Maybe have a poster or a stuffed Ewok <laughs> somewhere. That would be high on the... Oh, but nowhere close. To, now, this see, this one, okay. this one is, to me, this should be much higher because, to me, this is one of the all-time signs of hardcore nerddom. Collecting action figures. Mm. Yeah. I, if you ever watch the movie uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, <laughs> yes. you'll understand. <laughs> Collecting, if you own a packaged G.I. Joe or Aquaman action figurine, probably there's some nerd in you. Yeah. And and no matter how you try and spin it, you can't no, make that cool. No, that's nerdy. You have, to, you have to own the nerdiness yeah, of you that. Can't, you can't make that cool. You yeah. can't, you know, when you when you go out on a date somewhere and, and, you know, the woman says to you, so what do you do with your free time? You say, well, I reorganize my unpackaged action figures. <laughs> You got to hope that she's understanding and uh, interested in the same are, things. I have, I know women who, uh, that would be a plus in their books. So, uh, and, and that, that's yeah. cool too. You got to, you got to you know, find who you're going to find. find. But that is a nerdiness right there. Yeah. I don't even know what this means. Perhaps you can help because it's a, an initial here. And oh I don't boy. Know, uh, role playing on MMOs. Massively multiplayer online. And then there's anything after that. So it'd be like World of Warcraft. Uh, any right. second life type thing you play on the internet. I can barely fit my first life into my life, <laughs> let alone a second life. That is usually the problem. Uh, number 20, writing ridiculous lists. See, right now, <laughs> we're probably establishing our yeah, nerddom. Yeah, I think so. Okay, th this one. Oh, yes, this one for sure. I'm skipping a couple more. This one, number 18. I don't know if this is nerd, although there's probably some nerd in this that you can't make cool. There's no way you can make this cool. On, on girls, th see... Let me back up. On women, this could be the height of cool, depending how you pull it off. Okay. On guys, there is never a scenario under which this can work. <laughs> short, short jean shorts. Cut off <laughs> jean shorts. <laughs> All right. There is no man alive that can possibly pull off the <laughs> cut off Short jean shorts. The short jorts. The short, yeah. You can't, there's no way. That, I don't know if there ever was a time. Maybe in the 70s, it yeah, was okay. I think like may, for maybe six months at one point in the 70s. But, but if you're one of those guys who has a pair of jean shorts that you cut off and the pocket is actually extending <laughs> lower than the pant, you are wearing something far, far too short. There's no redeeming yourself when you show up wearing those. <laughs> And I don't even want to, you better just be standing still because any movement in those things, it's it not looks, a good look. It looks painful too, to be honest. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. It looks, it lo there's no redeeming way to bail yourself out of looking horrible. I don't even know if that's nerd. Just not cool. It's just not cool. Just not cool. Yeah. It's not cool. Which again, if you want to do that, go for it. No. 
No. I have had. I have the Don't impulses. Don't tell me you own a pair of cutoffs. I do not own a pair of cutoffs. I cannot come close to pulling off a pair of cutoffs, but I have been tempted to wear items of clothing just to detract from my coolness factor. I mean, I, I'm trying to think what would happen if I ever showed up. I found an old <laughs> pair of jeans. Sh- cut them off, shredded them so they were with like the tassely yes. white edges and made them really short so the pockets extended beyond the length of the leg and then went somewhere. This should be a thing like Movember. Maybe this is a thing we should do. Wear shorts for a month. The, I've been away. Something. I've been down south where we've been to places where it was heavily European and elderly men with bodies that resembled planets were wearing speedos that could not hang on for dear life. This is no better than that. Uh. This is no better than that. Anyway, let me move along. Number 17, spelling bees. Okay. No, I was not good at those. (laughs) Are they cool? I don't know. Are they nerdy? I don't know. I mean, it's cool. It's neat that the kids can spell some of those words that no one will ever use ever in a million years in Mm -hmm. their life. I don't know if it's cool or not. Uh, Number 16. All right. Here's my, well, no, I guess writing lists we said, but uh, here's my real first one. uh, Wearing Birkenstocks. I own a pair of Birkenstocks. Uh, There you go. (laughs) There you go. See, I think Birkenstocks are not that uncool. Maybe I'm just fooling myself. Uh, Unless you wear socks underneath them. (laughs) Yeah, that is, there's It's when you wear the gray socks with the you no know, the white and red top yep. thing yeah and you, you roll need them the down. you need the glaring pristine white fabric <laughs> or just glaring white feet that <laughs> had no sun wait, exa- yeah <laughs> number 15 on nerd things that you just can never be cool everquest another bored oh. reality that one's that's one of the earliest mmos <laughs> yeah that that one's dead <laughs> number 14 creating maps of fictional places <laughs> Again, I'm thinking this is probably for those people who have a fantasy life, and I don't mean in kind of a bounce, a wow, wow way. I mean, like, they have their own character on the MMO or um, Dungeons and Dragons, and they are mapping uh, out the <laughs> land of Gordor or something. I have to cop to. Um, You've done maps? I, have, I had a thing for cartography. <laughs> but cartography is one thing. Draw Asia. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not Moldovia. Well, get so far with real places <laughs> and then you want to make your own <laughs> that's just sad <laughs> number 13 runescape oh <laughs> Is, that's another that's another fantasy reality like fantasy oh, game right yeah but everyone playing I, that one knows it's a joke <laughs> am i pretty much like ruining your life here by, no no uh, no no see the guy who who i know who can do the rubik's cubes and has like multiple versions of rubik's cubes also has a very active runescape account <laughs> all right i gotta blow through here because time is passed. yeah let's number go. 12 survivor i disagree i love survivor uh, i love watching survivor uh, number 11 puppetry <laughs> Number 10, hentai. I don't know what that is. Oh, don't. Oh, oh, oh no. I don't even know what that <laughs> don't is. Don't even. Don't make me press any sensor buttons. I, I, I'll explain after the show, you. Scott. I, I, there's a cartoon here, don't but I don't look, know what don't, it is. Don't describe it. Uh, number nine, writing fan fiction. Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> I should have done some research ahead of time. I say fan fiction's cool. Keep going. Big Brother, number eight. Eh. 
Pocket protectors. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Do they still make those? Uh, that, yeah. uh, number six, Yu-Gi-Oh trading cards. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> number five, and of course, there's a picture of a a, a very uh, middle-aged guy here, which makes us see. If you're a seven-year-old girl, number five is the height of cool. If you're a 35-year-old man, being a fan of My Little Pony definitely puts you. There's no way to defend that as being cool. There's a yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> Number four, fanny packs. <laughs> and if you look online, there is actually a company now that is making fanny packs that look like a bare tummy with the belly button of really like a hairy guy's oh, fat belly, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. Yeah, you need that and then the short shorts and the Birkenstocks. I'm hoping for one of those for Christmas. <laughs> uh, number three, and I know what this is, but just the name alone is <laughs> wonderful. LARPing. <laughs> I've done it. Uh, explain quickly, LARPing. Live action role playing. It's like D&D, but you actually do go out to the forest. That's why I, I like it more. But they get gun, done up in the costumes, make whole weekends of it, go camping, pretend to be this person. And they get in fights with each other with big foam weapons. <laughs> Number two, furry conventions. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's almost like uh, spelling bees. I don't know if that's some that's off in its own corner, but okay, yeah. Unless you're really into it in a sort of romantic way, and then you're a fervert. Uh, <laughs> and, and and that's a whole different thing. Yeah, I was going to say there's... Yeah. <laughs> and number one on the list of things that are nerdy that you just oh. can't, no matter how you try to make it cool, you can't do it. Number one on the list, speaking Klingon. If you actually have learned the Klingon language, you have crossed a bridge too far. There is no way you can defend as cool sitting around with someone and talking Klingon. <laughs> Impossible. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.